0: Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures for ever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures for ever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures for ever. To Him alone who does great works, for His steadfast love endures for ever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures for ever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His steadfast love endures forever. ever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Those are verses one to nine of Psalm one hundred and thirty six, which is the Psalm appointed for today, Friday, april the twenty second, twenty twenty two. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green, thanks for being along. We are continuing our romp through Old Testament prophecy today in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, and then verse 13, over in the Gospel of John, uh, the 16th chapter, the first 15 verses there, and in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. I guess I should properly say the book of the Acts, because that's what the name of the book is, the Acts of the Apostles. It's It's the continuing work of the mission of Jesus through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So then in in the Daniel passage Daniel is remember he's in Babylon he was part of the exile group that went to Babylon and was treated with great kindness by Nebuchadnezzar because he chose among the best and the brightest so that he could raise them up to be the pride of Babylon. And he figured if these people would come along and be good little Babylonians, well, then the rest of the people will follow as well. So here Daniel's been given a word, and it says at that same time, Michael shall arise, the great prince who has charge of your people. And this is the divine counsel that's in view here, and that God has given territories and peoples over to different angels or archangels, and some of those fall along the way, and that explains some of what goes on in the world. Some of those fall and give themselves over to Satan, and so their uh, role and mission is changed depending on who their leader is, and so Michael, though, has remained faithful to the Lord, and he is in charge of the people of God, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. So he's prophesying at some point in the future, there will be a great tribulation, such as has never been um, from the time the nation itself was formed until this time that God's showing to Daniel. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So when he says your people, we're not speaking about all the people. It's everyone whose name is written in the book. Now, we assume that Daniel knew what book that was taught, is being spoken of there, and that would be the book of life. And there would be no reason for Daniel not to know about that. Yom Kippur, one of the things that it speaks of is a book. Okay, so what's going to happen in this year? And, but God has the books, which also then include who will get in, whose name is written in the book, who did God say will get in to eternal life. And then many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. This this sounds like the great tribulation and therefore the great judgment to come at the end of that tribulation period. He says those who are wise He says those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So those who, who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness, those who preach the gospel, those who, who actually preach to the people and, and convict them of sin. And that's exactly what James says in in chapter 5 of his epistle, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, consider this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, does the act itself cover the multitude of sins? No, it's, it's, it's belief. It's faith. It's the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel in faith. That matters. So we need to confront sin in our midst. I mean, that isn't that a crazy thing? We we don't we don't even like church discipline. And here James says it's it's a star in your crown if you confront sin to, in order to turn a sinner from sin. It, it's a uh, something that we're commanded to do, and not only that, it has benefit. The work of doing that has benefit, and it makes sense that it would because it's not easy to do. And it's not pleasant to do. but but it's important because we don't want people to die in their sin, right? I mean, that's, that's the important thing because it gives witness at some level to Jesus. if If people see me in a certain kind of sin and and they're measuring Jesus by that, then then what we need to do is call our brothers and sisters out of sin. And then ultimately, so that's the prophecy. And then God says, but you, Daniel, shall shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So he's, Daniel's to hide the rest of this. There's some things that were shown to Daniel that he's not allowed to reveal. And it's the same way with John in the Revelation, there's some things that he sees in that Revelation that he is not allowed to reveal to us. He's to seal that book. And so Daniel has a book, like God has a book, and he's to seal it. It's done. It's over with. And, and remember when the lamb, looking like it was slain, appears before the throne in Revelation 5, what does it do? It goes and it takes the scroll that's been sealed. And so here Daniel's told to seal this book of the covenant. In other words, it's complete. We're done, Daniel. This is everything that I wanted you to know and that I wanted you to tell. We're done now. <clears throat> in, in the gospel, what you're getting is Jesus doing the same thing, right? He's sealing up the book of his life, but there's a key to understanding all that he said, and there's a key to 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 continuing revelation and the leading into all truth in the same way that the Rosetta stone became the way by which many ancient texts were uh, were, were translated through the key that was in the that was given through the Rosetta stone and here it 's the same way Jesus is sealing up the book of his life however he's providing the key to unlock the seals and that's the Holy Spirit so <laughs> where daniel's prophecy he doesn't even have all the explanations for these things. He can't see that clearly. He's giving the images God has given, but he's not telling us anything about the time. Whereas it's a private um, revelation made to Daniel that he then shares with the world. Jesus says, I've come personally to reveal the Father, and not only that, I'm giving you a helper to lead you after I'm gone into further truth, and I'm giving it, and I'm pouring it out on all flesh. So here he says, I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. I want Because what he's saying is, is that I want you to know in advance what you're signing up for. I don't want you to be surprised when persecution breaks out against you. I'm telling you now, it's going to. Prepare yourselves for that. Just be ready for it and deal with it. So he doesn't want them to be surprised and therefore fall away because they didn't expect this. And too many times in churches today, people aren't prepared for that at all. And so they do fall away. They're not prepared for difficult times because they've been sold a false bill of goods. And that false bill of goods is the health and wealth, the prosperity gospel. It doesn't prepare people for life. It doesn't prepare people for the reality of suffering and difficulty. And so they leave. And and he begins here with, they will put you out of the synagogues. And they know that to be a fact, because they've already said they were going to do it, and they saw it in the man born blind. And he goes on to say, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering sacrifice or service, I mean, to God. And and service could also be translated worship. And, And so they would persecute the church in order to gain glory, because they think they're on God's side. They're on the right side of history. There was a guy that we know of for certain believed that, and his name is Paul. We know that Paul did what he did because he says he had zeal for the Father, zeal for God, and therefore he persecuted the church. Jesus is going to correct that, and here is this correction. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Can you imagine how offensive that would be to tell a Jew who is a Jew of Jews like Paul that you don't know the Father? I mean, if you really want to offend somebody, that would certainly be the way to do it. And, and it's, but it's exactly the same kind of thing Jesus did when he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. You, you worship, you know not what. Salvation comes from the Jews. So he's speaking here and saying that, that the people who will persecute the church, they do it because they're ignorant. They don't know God. He said, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So just just be prepared. It's going to happen. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I was here to protect you from these things. I was the one who they were going to come against. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Well, they did. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's an odd one. Not be, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So, yeah, because nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be killed. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so sin, righteousness, and judgment all have to do with Jesus. Sin is not believing in him. So turning from sin, however, once you've known him, then then there's a different kind of sin that's possible. That's where the law opens up, but where it allows us then to amend our ways, because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is there simply to allow us to amend our ways, to, to make a decision to agree with God, and then to turn from sin. But sin begins with not believing in Jesus. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. His ascension, but it's not just the ascension, it's the glorification. It's the sitting at the right hand of the Father that's in view here. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. So the, the, the judgment begins with the ruler of the world. And Jesus would say that ruler of the world is Satan. And why would he say that? Well, because Satan says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. So he rules over those things, and it's easy to see that's the case. But what it does then is, is it allows us to see God in a different way. If we don't see him as the ruler of the world, but he is the creator of the world, he's the judge of the world, and ultimately all things will be restored to him. But in the meantime, the work that we are given to do is, is judgment of the ruler of the world. It's the proclamation that he has been defeated, and the proclamation includes the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And, and that's our proclamation, that that this world is passing away, and the ruler of the world has been uh, declared to be without clothes because of the resurrection of Jesus, which shows the power of God and the activity and the action of God in this world, as does the book of the Acts, as does the continuing witness of the church in the world. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, that they're, they're thrown into confusion, and within just a very brief period of time, they're going to be in utter confusion for the next several days. But he said, I can't tell you all these things now that I want to tell you because you're not ready to receive them. There's some there's some things you've got to know before you can receive the next series of teachings, and that that is the resurrection. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, which is exactly what Jesus said was his own mission. He's told them what's to come for them, and that's why their hearts are filled with sorrow. But the other side of it is he always says, I don't speak on my own authority. I speak on the authority of the one who sent me. And so whatever I hear, I speak, whatever I see, I do. And and that's what he says is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will glorify me for he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, the Father's not keeping anything for himself in this. No, it's a totally different issue. No, he's not keeping anything for himself. He gives it to me. And then therefore, I have the authority and the power <coughs> over these things. In the Acts lesson, so remember they've healed the man at the beautiful gate. They proclaimed Jesus to be the the for, as the resurrection from the dead, and also the power by which the man was healed. And so, as they're speaking to the people, however, and, and preaching this message, the priests and the captain of the temple, and I think this is interesting, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the priests and the captain of the temple. They would have had a problem with this preaching in the name of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees would have just had a problem with them proclaiming the resurrection of the dead because they didn't believe that was true. They didn't believe there would be a resurrection from the dead. They, They believed that this life was all there was. And so they wouldn't have wanted this message being preached about resurrection from the dead, particularly when the proclamation included, hey, it's already started. There's already been one who has been raised from the dead. (laughs) And they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men, came to about 5,000. So huge, huge day for the church, right? So they got 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now we got 5,000 here on this day after seeing the man who was born lame healed. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, the, the Sanhedrin, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. So, Paul, remember later, will look at these men and say, I didn't know you were the high priest. It's because it, it went back and forth between these two men, Annas and Caiaphas primarily, and, and it was hard to tell in any given year which one of these was the high priest. So, and Paul, Paul's statement of, I didn't know you were, says, I haven't been keeping up with that stuff. So Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. So that whole group of people, that whole family, along with the Sanhedrin, are there. And when they set them, the disciples, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? I mean, they had to have known. They had to have known exactly who these men were. There's no question they would have known who they were, but... They're asking the question just the same way that they did with the man born blind in John 9. They, they they asked him to tell the story even after he had told the story. And that's when he says, why do you want to become his disciples too? I've already told you this. So in this instance, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And it's the same kind of response Jesus would give to different things. For which of these works are you trying to stone me? What's well, not because of any of these works is because what you because being a man, you claim to be equal with God. So when Peter is is. Speaking here, he knows he's speaking to a mixed group that includes Sadducees and Pharisees and others. It, he talks about the resurrection from the dead. He also points back to a specific man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, Christ is a designation that Peter puts in here that had to be deeply offensive to the Jews. Jesus He's saying Jesus, the Messiah, the guy who came for the Jesus who came from Nazareth. That guy, he's the one through whom this man was made well. I'm sorry, we crucified Jesus. What power could there possibly be in Jesus? And, and G- his responses to that is, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing well before you. It's a powerful proclamation, and it's proclaiming multiple things all at the same time, and that is, is that he was raised from the dead, and he is the Christ. You know, what a witness. They come before the Sanhedrin, the same um, Peter, who when the slave girl of the high priest said, you're one of the Galileans, you were with him, I saw you. He denies Jesus, but here before the Sanhedrin, he proclaims Jesus and then ends up with, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And they know that uh, reference. They know that's a reference to the Psalms. And and it, it becomes Peter's sort of favorite touchstone um, is this this thing about the cornerstone. He writes about it in, in his epistles, and he preaches it whenever he has an opportunity. He will preach about who is this Jesus. He is the one that you, the builders, rejected, but he is the chief cornerstone. He says there's, no salva- there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's one and only. He is a unique one, and his name means the Lord saves. And so there's no other name given under heaven. It's it's the name that you have to proclaim. Yahweh is not is not a standalone. And you you've got to believe in salvation in the name of Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful proclamation and one that would not have been well received. Um because what do you mean, I need a name other than Jesus? in order to be saved. What do you mean I need that name? I'm already saved, quote unquote. I I was born into the covenant. Peter is saying, nope, that ain't good enough. That you sit here and pretend to be rulers over me. I'm not accepting your rulership because I'm accepting the rulership of the one in whom I have salvation.